0: John Panos, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm. John, it's over a year, and before we came on tonight, last night, I went on to iTunes, and I thought, let's have a look. How this thing's scoring? Um, number 30, which is great, John. 30, 30th podcast under business. Not good enough.
1: So, what, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> I thought, I, I, well, thought hang on, I remember our first one, and we were, we were celebrating because we were number one. Now you're saying 30. You've lowered your standards. It, we need to get back to number one. Okay, so uh, there we so let's go. Let's change it. Should we start to, again? Let's to be start.
2: honest, though, okay, we're live in three no just joking. Um, to be honest, we have fluctuated between number one and number 30. Over okay, let's get time. back to yeah. one.
0: All right, what's next? Okay, so next, John's got a, he's got a to-do list here today. He's going through this. <laughs> now, Johnny, um, I've got to tell you, you're a tough operator. The other night I was watching Shark Tank. Um, and I watched a. Uh, I was sitting there w- with my youngest daughter, and we were, you know, watching a guy. He was presenting some uh, drones. Now I don't. Re- I-, I can't recall his name. He's a n- nice guy. Everyone's nervous on the show, and he looked as nervous as everyone. But John, for a moment there. I thought it was Tom Panos on the show because you said to this guy here, you said to him, I've seen better presentations from
1: an eight year old. Actually, let me just say, I think what I exactly said was, I've seen better videos taken by eight year olds because I do feel for the people, you're right Tom, people walk into that cauldron and literally doors open, silence, it's it's actually dead air. Like it's not like you're walking now and in this room we're in today, it's dead air. You're walking in, you stand on X marks a spot as an entrepreneur. You're looking at five investors that are staring you down for one minute and nothing is said. So that precedes, just so the listeners to our podcast know, that precedes every presentation. So, And you, you had never met them before that, Never track. met them. We don't know what their business is. We don't know what the idea is until they open their mouth. They walk in step, and, and they're forced to stand for 60 seconds. So believe me, if they weren't nervous before, they were very nervous after the 60 seconds. Oh, uh, John,
0: I, I feel, look, I felt like getting into the TV screen and helping this guy because he got questioned, oh, have you actually got an order or is it a quote? And I thought, and I thought to myself, come on, I'm, I'm, I've, got, I've got to go in and help this guy. But I couldn't stop laughing because I remember in around 2006 at one of your Kickstart breakfasts, I rocked up there to do a presentation. I had it on my USB stick. I was pumped and I was excited because I actually thought that this was going to be the presentation that would go down as the most memorable of a McGrath power breakfast. And then John McGrath, get ready for this, Troy. Uh, I think you might have been an assistant back then. John McGrath makes a suggestion that I've come back with a presentation using font from 1977, (laughs) right? And he says, is this what you've got, Tommy? Is this what we're putting up on the screen here? So we've had to redo the whole presentation with five minutes to go. So, matey, there on Shark Tank, I'm with you all the way, and I've got to let you know that life gets better.
1: (laughs) No, but the reason I gave that preamble is that, you know, I'm very mindful and respectful that this is a pressure cooker environment for people to present their business. They have no notes. They can't hand out notes. They, they basically have to remember what they're going to say, the order, and they stand up and they do it. They can actually show us a demonstration of the product if they like. Um, so it is, you know, whilst we have a bit of a laugh about it, I have incredible admiration for the entrepreneurs that came on the show. Mm. Um, they're under a lot of pressure. The vast majority did an amazing job at pitching there. I mean, some, we had these young guys and girls, teenagers, early 20s, and they were articulate, and they stood up and they presented, and I thought, my God the talent in this room and, of course, the talent in this country is phenomenal. So, uh, but having said that, the reason I had a crack at the guy with the, the drone and, and I apologise, I've forgotten his first name too, but, you know, if you're selling your business and he was asking for a large valuation, you need to present your business. You've got to be slick. So, interesting, we're talking to a real estate audience on, on this podcast. If you're pitching your wares about selling yourself, selling your company, selling your product and service, you can't turn, you should certainly shouldn't turn up unprepared, sloppy, oh, gee, I left that at home, I'm sorry, and scribbling crazy stuff on, on the back of brochures. You need to turn up in a, as though you are like one of these entrepreneurs. You're, you're professional presenting your business. So I think there's a really good message on the show for the real estate fraternity, which is know your numbers, know your statistics, know your audience. So, you know, they were pitching to entrepreneurs, but the guys that are listening here are pitching to vendors. Know what they're looking for. Um, and, and really deliver and leave no stone unturned. And we invest, we've made a lot of investments and you'll see that throughout the, the show if people tune in and watch it. Um, and we almost always invested in the person. We said, this person knows their stuff, they're credible, they have a track record or they've got a clear vision for the future. And if it was compelling, it was compelling. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them weren't and you know, you've got to be a tough judge. Um, so, uh, interesting.
0: John, I've got to say that I love talking to vendors that have just listed a property because they tell you what they were thinking and there's someone that I spoke to at a coffee shop about three weeks ago, his name's Jerry. It's actually, he went with McGrath agent as well. And I said to him, how many agents did you have? He said, three. I said, why did you pick the one you picked? He said, they were all good, but one gave me unquestionable proof. That's a good good
1: statement, isn't it?
0: And John, it was like, it was, he more or less said it was a no brainer. Everything he said was unquestionable. And I think what you're saying is when you're presenting, you've got a
1: short time to leave someone with that feeling that I'm 100% certain this feels right. And you know, we talk about a 45-minute listing presentation. It's actually a four-minute listing presentation because most of them have made their mind whether they are going to entertain using you or not after the first few minutes, four or five minutes. And the rest of it is they want to either find out more to work out of either one or just one of the top ones yeah. or how, how quickly, without being totally rude, can I get rid of this agent in my lounge room because I'd never lose them, use them because they turned up three minutes late, they looked sloppy, they got my name wrong, they, I mean, all sorts of craziness. So, uh, yeah, no, I think that that's, that's really interesting for everyone watching the show. So hopefully... Sunday nights,
0: guys, girls, Sunday nights, 8, PM. 8 o'clock. It's, 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 I love reality shows. I don't know yeah. what it is. There's something uh, exciting because you, you can picture yourself being there. John, let's move on to a question that's come in. Um, hi, I hope you're well. Can I say how much I love listening to your podcast? He's moved on. Okay, I've just moved to Melbourne from all properties groups in Brisbane. First name, Andrew. His name is Andrew Nguyen. 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 Um, So Vietnamese uh, uh, background somewhere there and just scored my first listing within three weeks and will be an auction. Um, So Troy, good stuff, mate. You can be an expert in this podcast as well. We'll bring you in. A question I really want to ask from yourself and John is, what should be discussed at a bidder's registration meeting and when should they occur so So we're talking about buyers
1: meetings right yeah I think that's what he Andrew is referring to
0: yeah and we know that John in some states a registration process is needed in other states it's not but for the purposes of this podcast he's pretty much saying what do we do about you know you got a buyer
1: there that's going to be bidding what do you talk about with them so the first thing just to explain people that haven't heard us talk about buyer meetings everyone has well I hope vendor meetings during the sale process and of course a pre-auction meeting at some point and let's call that the Wednesday or the Thursday before the auction if you're auctioning on a weekend so the problem is most people don't have meetings with the buyers they meet them at the opens they have a few chats on the phone hopefully maybe the odd email exchange and then they see them at the auction well couple of things there one is depending which state you're in they might have to register on the day of the auction which is kind of a stressful process standing in line five minutes to go to the auction and you're trying to get your registration details so I think if you're in if you're in a state of Australia where you do have to register prior to an auction you can certainly do that at the meeting so Andrew make sure that if, if, if this is um, in your jurisdiction you need to uh, be doing that second thing is I think what you're really trying to do is one is ascertain what is their level of experience and confidence around the auction and I'd just be asking the que- question, Tom, is you know, have you bid before and bought at an auction? Mm. Because if you're talking to someone and they've bought 20 properties before at auction, it's gonna be a different conversation to someone who this is their first auction, or they bid but never bought and they're extremely nervous, which most people are. So I would ascertain, if I were Andrew, I'd ascertain, and by the way, this is not just the best bidder. For me, this would be anyone that you think is likely to come to the auction and bid. You wanna register them, you wanna to talk to them. And one of the key things about why have a meeting verse on the phone is you want to see their body language. You want to try and pick up that energy. You want to create trust between you. So you want them to see your body language, that you're actually there to try and help them get the best shot at buying their future home. By the way, that doesn't mean buy the home cheaply, of course. We understand we're there for the vendor. But by giving them the best chance to own the home means that you don't want them walking away from the auction on Monday saying, I wish I'd have gone a bit further i didn 't understand the importance of being the highest bidder, and then all of a sudden it was nervous it went in the in the flash of an eye and, and then I just the agent rang me an hour later and said they sold it to the highest bidder so I think you 've got to understand where they 're at so, so, so John what you 're saying is find out whether these
0: people are a 10 out of 10 commercially savvy in the auction process or whether it's their first one. So get into that conversation. And what are some of the things that you think flows on from that? Do you talk about how you bid? Do you bring up comparable sales? What are are the the sort of things you should be covering?
1: Yeah, look, if they're a novice, let's say they are at the novice end, which most people in Australia probably are, I would be saying, um, do you understand the process of bidding? Um, you know, raise your hand, call out a figure, raise your paddle or your number depending where you're from. Um, So just talk about that. Um, I would say to them that, you know, I will point out to the auctioneer, I'll let them know that you have an interest before because I want the auctioneer. I certainly don't want anyone missing your interest or your bid. Um, So then I'd talk about um, how you do that, how the auctions often start, the fact that they'll often start a little bit on the conservative end because some bidders like to throw in an early bid and just test the market. The things that I would really focus on would be re- reiterating the comparable sales, because yeah. what we don't want is them walking away thinking it was worth six fifty, stopping at six fifty, and then on Monday realising it was probably worth seven hundred and they could have bought it, yeah, but they would, didn't have the information. So I think you just need to, I'd be saying, Tom, look, just running back through the last three or four sales that I think are relevant to Saturday's auction, it was ten Brownsmith, five Jones Street and twenty five Green Street. I just want to take you through these because I think they're really relevant for you to assess your final value. And then I'd say, how do you feel about those? Once I've been through and described them, and I would be looking at body language and getting some feedback from you as to where do you see? And you might say, well, you know, 25 Green Street at 712, you know, that was much bigger, that was much better, it had a triple garage, it had all sorts of things. And that kind of feeds back to me the opportunity to debate that, uh, you know, to try and make sure that you think that this property is better than that. Or to actually know, it gives me a feeling of where you might be at, and I can even have that conversation with the vendor between the bidder meeting and the auction. And so here is Tom's rationale as to why he's not at that level. So the vendor needs to know that as well, because I don't want the vendor ringing me on Monday saying I should have taken the bid, and I don't want the buyer ringing me on Monday saying I should have gone more. So this is all about education. So,
0: so Joni, because we do do have a lot of situations where... Buyers go to auctions, and this has been a long systemic issue, where they've been under the impression that they might actually get it at a better figure than they're going to get it at auction. And an agent, all of a sudden, on the day of the auction, is trying to spend 20 seconds during the auction to tell them, trust me, it's worth more. Yeah. What you're saying is, you want to do it properly. Sit down and have an articulate conversation. Business conversation. Business conversation. Yeah. Not under pressure, 20 seconds there, trying to you know, hit them with information overload at a time that's very stressful. You're saying, sit there with an evidence-based commercial conversation three days before the auction, sit there and say, this sold at this, this sold at this, this sold at this, what are you thinking? And that's hard to get over the
1: phone, isn't it? It's almost impossible, and you can't get it on the day of the auction, because as we all know, auctions seem to go very quickly. Even if they take 20 minutes, they seem to take two minutes. It's a flash and a blur for the buyer and the vendor and the agent. So all the preparation needs to be done in advance, so no one's under pressure. And it's certainly, it's not our job and our desire to put buyers under pressure or confuse them on the day. We want to help them make the best buying decision, and I always take the view that if they love this property and they want to buy it, and they have the, the um, financial ability to buy it, well, they need to go to as high a level as they think they are comfortable with going on to that. So I think that's really key. Um, the other thing, of course, is the importance of being the highest bidder, because even in today's very strong markets, not everything sells at auction. And I think at the moment it's generally 70 to 80% in most parts of Australia, so it's a good clearance rate. But reality is of the 20 or 30% that doesn't sell at auction, most of that will sell immediately afterwards or shortly afterwards. And some bidders don't understand. They think sitting back, being quiet, walking away from the auction, ringing you on Monday is the best strategy in terms of negotiating, often to find out that the property was sold on Sunday afternoon or Saturday night. So I think you've got to talk to people about the absolute benefit to them not to us of being the highest bidder put yourself in the driver's seat have the first opportunity to buy it at the vendor's reserve price um, and a lot of them have no idea about it as agents we sort of know that that's a strategy and that's part of you know the process of highest bidder gets the right to step forward into the living room you know and most often everyone else goes and then they get to negotiate so I would definitely talk them through that because what you don't want is someone thinking, oh, the smartest thing for me is to say nothing on the day, hope it passes in, go away, and ring them later because later may not happen. So I think that's, that's an important thing to talk through. Value range, how to bid if they're inexperienced. And I not even talk, Tom, about some of the practical issues. So the auctions are 10.30. As you know, it's being held at the property. Uh, if the weather's inclement, we'll hold it inside. If not, we'll probably hold it out the back. Yeah, the vendor will be there, but they'll be separate. So you might see me going inside to have a chat to the vendor. That's just because I'll I'll be discussing yeah. with them what's happening. Again, as you hold the deposit too, John, you remind them that they've yeah. got to bring a uh, bring in a, a check. Yes, the contract. Have you has your solicitor or conveyancer seen the contract? Do you have any questions? That uh, are they comfortable? Is your finance in place? Um, any other reports that you might need to, to see or, or request prior to bidding so you can bid confidently on the day. So definitely go through the practical issues, then go through the bidding sequence, um, then talk about value range, and finally talk about you know, what is the, the best way for them to make sure they have every chance to buy it, which is to either buy it under the hammer or be the highest bidder if it's at a level they're comfortable with. Yeah, one of the things that I might bring Troy into this because you were doing auctions last Saturday and you, you,
0: uh, congratulations, you got five out of five. So at the moment, you're probably the most qualified person on the, uh, on, the on the podcast to uh, answer this question, Troy. Um, you, you must get to auctions where the agent, um, and you must see this too, John, because you've been a very accomplished auctioneer and uh, auction was the way that you did your business when you were in real estate, where you get there, And the agent says, John, we were supposed to have seven people here. Yeah. Mate, and all of a sudden they're on their phone and they're ringing up. The auction's at 12 and they're ringing at 12 o'clock. They're ringing mobile phones and they're getting message banks. They're not getting return of calls. They're saying to the auctioneer, maybe we should hold off for about five or ten minutes with this view that someone's going to show up. But that person doesn't show up right yeah, yeah. Um, what's that view about the the no-shows how do you uh, reduce the no-shows at auctions where you've built the vendor to believe that you're going to get
1: 12 people there and only three show up so a couple of things for me and then love to hear troy's view but i guess i was you know on both sides i was auctioneer and i was an agent and, and troy's certainly done them both as well as you have tom um my thinking is firstly you should know who's going to be there or not. And and I say that one of the reasons people think there's going to be seven people and only one arrives is they haven't been close enough. They haven't had what we've just spoken about, pre-registration meetings. They haven't spoken to them about, you know, Tom, are you going to attend and bid on the weekend? Simple question. But rather than saying, do you have everything you need? Yeah, yeah, I've got everything I need. Well, ask the next question. Uh, so are you going to be there on the weekend? Yeah, oh yeah, and I'll be there. And uh, is it your intention to bid? Oh, that's, if it's at the right price, I'll bid. So I, I want us kinda of know and if they say, Look, no, I'm coming but I can't bid, could I ask why? Well our finance hasn't come through. Well we've got a loan brokerage company, I'd love to have our guy come and visit you today and we get your pre approval in twenty four hours. Something like that. Mm. So I think, you know, part of the reason people don't know who's going to be there and who isn't is because they um, they're just not close enough, Troy, to the process. The other thing is you've got to manage expectations. So My comment to the vendor would be, Tom, I've got seven registered buyers and I've registered them all last night at my office. I've spoken to them all. At this point, they've indicated they'll be there to bid. If I can share my experience, that often means that two or three will get cold feet the night before and may not be there. So for me, if seven registered bidders turns into three or four active bidders on the day, I think that will be a great result. So I'm always managing expectations not because I'm looking to condition a vendor because that's not what we do, but because I know life happens. yeah. And I know that there is a chance that seven becomes three because two or three of them wake up, one sees a better property at 10, 15 in the morning before the auction, the other one gets cold feet, you know. the other one has an argument with their partner and they say, oh, I don't want to buy a house you know, or yeah. whatever, and that's just life. Yeah. So you've got to manage people's expectations. I mean, Troy, what are, you, what are your thoughts about it?
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I'm very lucky that I get to work with
1: do you have a microphone? Can we hear
2: you? Yeah. You've got your own microphone <laughs> now. No, no, no. Oh my um, God, that's
1: another discussion, Tom. <laughs>
2: that's
1: amazing. He snuck that in. I didn't even think he had a microphone. He's now got his own I'm,
2: microphone. Uh, I'm very fortunate that I get to work with a very strong group of agents. Troy looks
0: like a, I've got to tell you, it somehow looks actually better than our microphone <laughs> as well. Some. I'm paranoid that the crystal clear voice is actually better. I wonder in if hand. we're even on.
1: We may not be on.
0: This might. <laughs> Troy might be. <laughs> this might be Troy Malcolm's podcast going to his own audi. Sorry, Troy, go (laughs) on.
2: We've changed the uh, the graphics on the screen (laughs) as well. Um, I I find that the very best agents that I work with They're constantly building rapport during the campaign. So, whoever meets them, requests a contract, um, is excited or interested in the auction process, the very best agents are calling them weekly just to give them updates. There's the amount of people. Well, Troy, actually, more than weekly. They're They're probably calling them several times a week. It's a Mm. couple of times a week. Um, And they're talking through the process of the day as well. So, they're actually building that rapport up to a level that when it comes to those split second decisions during the auction, when the auctioneer is calling, they can become that trusted advisor. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's works best with the group of. Agents. I like that
1: word trusted advisor um, and that word by the way or that phrase Tom as you and I and Troy know it's not not ever to be abused or leveraged there's no point pretending you're a trusted advisor so you can kind of get inside their head but you need to build that credibility connection trust so when you talk to them about comparables and you ask them you know can I get a sense of a, if you're intending to bid you're actually going to get a real response. Yeah. If they think you're the enemy, and a lot of people say, yeah, but we act for the vendor. Yeah, I know that, but without having a good connection with the buyers, yeah. you're not doing your best job for the vendor. Because yeah. if the buyers hate you or don't want to talk to you or are scared of you, you can't do the best job for the vendor or extract the best price. Yeah. If the buyers trust you, they listen to you, then they're going to be saying to you, well, Tom, what do you think? What, I mean, what your, is it as good as the 700? And if I really believe it is, I'll say, look, I think it's as good or better. but reality is Tom what's going to happen on the day you're not competing with me or the vendor you're competing with the market yeah so what you need to decide is what is your financial limit at what point is it no longer comfortable for you to be able to afford this home and then you've almost got to see what the markets prepared to pay because you and I can debate is it worth seven or 710 but if I get a bid on Saturday of 725 that's what it's worth yeah so I want you to focus on what you can afford and not get too fixated on what you think it may be worth yeah. because reality is it's worth what someone else offers on the day. Yeah. So that is in the best interest of the buyer yeah. because if they walk away and they didn't bid seven twenty six, and then they go to an auction next week for a property that's inferior that might sell for seven they are going to be kicking themselves. I, I've got to, um, as we come close to finishing this podcast, I want to
0: talk about trust and buyers. Michael Harris from Rain and Horn at Down. I just want to Great sum agent. up yeah. amazing agent. What about speak. their new offices? Oh, have you seen them, Mike? Yeah, uh, beautiful. 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 It was an ex-probation uh, probation office. People used to go in there yeah. um, for you know, on parole or what have you, but they have decked it out. It's a beautiful office, in North Newtown. Michael Harris, he's a million-dollar agent, spoke at ARIC last year on the panel. I, I do his auctions, and I've got to tell you, this is Michael Harris' strategy. When there's one buyer, he has built so much trust with this person. John, he goes up to the buyer at the start of the auction, and he says, listen... John, you're going to be the only one registered and I'm being transparent. There's no fun and games and theatrics here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to vend or bid it. That level, you're going to know that you can't buy it under that figure. Then if you want to buy it, you'll talk to me and I'll try and put this deal together. If it works out fine, if it doesn't, that's okay, we talk.
1: I love that. I I love the tone of that dialogue and I love the intention, which is just be honest. Yeah. A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, I think there's six other people coming and they make up all these things. They lose credibility. People can tell in your body language. But when Michael said, I'm going to put it at a price under which you're not going to buy it today, tomorrow, or ever, the vendor has a certain price range. So when you hear that, you've got a choice. Do you want to own this as your new home? Which case, I'm going to ask you to put your bid forward on the day and see if we can actually close it under auction conditions so both parties have certainty. Uh, And then you walk away and you might have a new home in the next 15 minutes. by not bidding, even if it's at a level, that's actually not going to serve you because right now the vendor is seeking to transact today during the auction. John, I think people find it refreshing
0: because auctions have had such a stigma over the last 30 years. People find it refreshing to have an agent come and tell them, you're the only one. Yeah. They actually think, hang on a second, they, they, they're gonna probably have some theater, so all this noise going on, and, and to have someone
1: come along and just say, you're the only one. So, or, uh, the only thing I'd say to that, because I love Michael's approach, and, and I know you and I and Troy think similarly, I would say at this point, you're the only registered bidder. Because we all know neighbors pop up out of the woodwork. Yeah. And so again, managing the expectation of a seller and a buyer are critical. And if I said you're the only one and all of a sudden someone pops up that that registered 60 seconds before the auction starts bidding, so I'd be saying, at At this this point, it looks like you may be the only person that's going to bid on this today. Unless someone comes forward at the moment, you're the only registered bidder and the auction's in 10 minutes, or the auction's tomorrow morning if you're having this discussion the night before. Um, So I love the transparency, but again, life happens. The number of times, which is one of the reasons that we do on-site auctions, the number of times in a year that people turn up on the day, never seen it before, never taken a contract, and bid and buy, is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, Troy, it's, it's, it's hundreds in our company. I know we do sort of seven or 8,000 auctions a year, but there would be hundreds that would do that in a year. And, Tom, you've experienced that. Yeah,
2: hundreds. Yeah. Absolutely, hundreds. And even people during the auction, registered during the auction to bid. Yeah, I find that always mind-blowing. They, they've got all that time before the auction, but it's during the auction that they say, actually, I'm going to register. Yeah.
1: Another good reason, by the way, that's one of the reasons, as you know, as a company we do on-site auctions in Melbourne, which I think is the best, best auctions in the world, best auctioneers, you know, across a large group, but although New Zealand is rapidly cha- challenging that, they're doing great auctions in New Zealand. But if I look at Melbourne, and I think they have always done on-site auctions, and, uh, and they're phenomenal. So I think it's... Um, it's, it's, it's you know, you've got to be thinking about your business. 2015, year of change, year of growth, and I think that if you're out there, if you're not A, if you're not doing auctions, you've got to start doing them. B is if you're not having buyer meetings before, you've got to start doing buyer meetings um, and managing your both sides of the equations, expectations, so no, everyone, no one gets caught up and, and filling their head with false information, they're doing that. Third one is if you're doing in-room auctions, you need to be thinking about doing on-site. Because I've got to tell you that, you know, we've grown rapidly in the last decade, and one of the big factors for us is doing on-site auctions and letting the community see our professionalism and our results where they want to see it in the community on a Saturday. So, you know, if this is the year of change for people, you've got to start thinking about what got you here won't get you there. So that's very exciting. So I think we, this is, Andrew's asked a great question, and we filled the whole podcast with Which is nice. Uh, The auction process. This is a a well big way of doing business. We were going to
0: do another uh, Q and A, but John, we're at twenty five minutes. And Troy Malcolm is the executive producer of
1: this show, and uh, we're going to we've got to edit him out. Yeah. Troy, you're, you're, mate, I still. Now, con- before we go, what has happened to our damn sponsorship? Do we have one? Uh, John. Is there no one out there that cares about what we say? We have got this amazing following of great people. How many now, Troy, are looking at our podcast? 400,000 downloads? No, I- but how many people each week are listening? Oh, to-
2: averaging about 4,000, just under 4,000. That's not enough.
0: <laughs> okay. No, hang on, there's 40,000.
1: There's 40,000 people in this industry, and only one in 10 listens we to can- us each week.
0: John, we can confer. Uh, sponsorship. Uh, it's coming, is it? It's well. It's more or less. It's done. Is there any money involved? Yeah, we'll be. <laughs> <laughs> not for me. No, I'm, joking,
1: no, I'm, I'm happy no, to give is it a that charity. the reason you
0: wanted to go to your lawyer's, Troy?
1: <laughs> I'm happy to give it to but there is something on the way because yes, you're the is. business
0: manager yes, here. Yes, it's all something on the way. It's all. It's all done. We've actually had two people.
1: Is it uh, a company that I'm going to like? So I've got to feel good about who's sponsoring us. There's got to be an alignment here.
0: I think I think it's a company that delivers uh, great value. It's a major brand name, and I think you're going to be pumped. And I think uh... Troy, it
1: must be News Limited. It must be News Limited. Tom's gone into the head office there, and he said, <laughs> "Look, he's tried poor." He said, "Look, at News Limited, we're a multi-billion-dollar company, and uh, you've got a, these poor podcast guys." And, I mean, and let's assume... look at this. We're here, this little table in this little room, little dark room. We're doing this, this podcast. Jacqueline, how much will we be paying for these coffees? <laughs> Even the coffees. That, that's, this just is, get someone to sponsor the coffees. <laughs> if there's anyone listening and you want to sponsor our weekly coffee, we have one coffee while we do podcasts. Uh, ten bucks will do it. Ten bucks. So come forward if okay. you would like to, and we look forward to that. Beautiful. So,
0: loud and clear. We've got room for a second sponsor now. <laughs> Good. Coffee sponsors. Available. Coffee sponsors. <laughs> guys, girls, till next time. Get into the options. Million Dollar it. Agents options, And Troy Malcolm, I hope you have 100% next weekend. See you later. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.